Hey guys, welcome. I'm Ivana. And I'm Derek. And this is Till, Till Kingdom, Kingdom Come. Come. So we have about 30 minutes before we have to check out of this hotel. So we thought, why not rush and also do a podcast? Derek and I just celebrated six months of marriage. Yay! We did it. But we have learned over the course of these past months that there are a lot of things that we wish we would have known. And so we bring you five things we wish we would have known before getting married. Ready? You want to go first? You go first. Rock, paper, scissors. You go first. Rock, paper, scissors. Shoot. Go. For a man, it would be knowing that you have needs and knowing that you have permission to have needs in this relationship. What would you say is like a need? A need for me would be... I enjoy having you cook. Is that a need? Yeah. Okay. Well, and I enjoy cooking. So if he just says that, then we know not defined roles, but like things that we both enjoy and what it looks like. I think needs could also be things like space or time alone or time with friends of the same sex or activities. Friendships, yeah, yeah. And so I think knowing that it's okay and practicing that, and I would say practice that with God first, like, Lord, I have this need and not being ashamed of what you need to thrive, but rather understanding that it's okay to have needs as a human and it's okay to vocalize them. I'm like super vocal. And so I came in that way and Derek has been learning like how to express his needs. Yeah. I didn't, I think growing up, I didn't feel like I had permission to have needs. And then I... I guess I just assumed that serving someone else's needs was like essentially the better Christian thing to do than to have your own needs because it felt selfish. Yeah. Don't be selfish, but also it's okay to have needs. Like we all have needs and the person that you're going to marry should want to meet those needs because you're in covenant. I think for me, it's realistic expectations. I think from rom-coms and like you know, having dreamed of marriage for so long, I expected marriage to be like a rom-com, that you would walk in through the door with flowers and greet me and lay everything down in order to like make this whole scene. And you have moments when you do that, but obviously there's just a lot of life in between. Like we're washing dishes, we're washing clothes, we're in the camper, we're driving. And so I think vocalizing those expectations like hey babe I love when you do this but not making it like a law and a standard that if you don't do it I'm disappointed and I think that goes with everything in life like expectations when you set them too high without the Lord you're not expectant of the Lord all of your desires are on that expectation like they're gonna fall short and so that's something that I wish I would have done before because it's not your fault that I watch every rom-com under like under the sun, you know? And so understanding that life isn't like that and it has moments like that, but also there's beauty in the mundane. Yeah, I mean, if you want life to be an hour and 30 minutes, then of happily ever after. Then it can be an hour and 30 minutes of happily ever after, but there's and sometimes still... you wake up and you just like, you're just waking up and brushing your teeth and going to the gym and reading your word. It's just life. Mm-hmm. Number three uh, would be passivity. I wish someone would have explained a little bit more about triggers that cause passivity. And it also, it really depends on like the person and how they were raised because certain things can cause someone to be passive or aggressive. And so we find ourselves in sometimes a, a circle of one trigger causes me to be passive. One trigger can cause a little bit of aggression And that those things are really important to discuss and talk through because 
passivity and aggression aren't the character of your spouse. They're triggers, they're reactions. And would you explain passivity? My definition of passivity is when one or the other person is not operating in the role that was assigned to them by the Lord. So if I'm not uh, if I'm not operating in the leadership role or the head of the house role that God has assigned to me, that is passivity. I would say like if you're not if something's going wrong and you're not addressing it, like if we're not having those hard conversations or if you would rather like numb out or like just shut down what you're actually feeling, like that's passive. So it's like in marriage, like avoiding those hard conversations, I would say for me, that's passivity or like in parenting, you're just like, well, like you could just give them an iPad and, and they'll figure it out. And it's like, no, like there are hard conversations and some confrontations that lead into deeper connection. And so you can't be passive about things that are happening and they're hurting you or they're triggering you or you're just wanting to push the person away, but rather you're like willing to go after it. And that's because we're in covenant. Like we're not going anywhere. So it's not going to just disappear. Yeah. So like a role for a woman in a marriage would be nurturing. She'd be the one that's the keeper of the house. And a woman can be passive in nurturing her husband or tending to the needs of her husband or tending to the needs of the home. Likewise, the man can be passive in his role as a husband that should be washing his wife with the word or taking care of the externals around the house. Like, so there's like, I think you're, 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 you're catching the the methods of passivity and like the root would be like, what is the role? And I think for me, and so that we can wrap up number three, it would be like, I wish that I would have been really like given a chance to see that certain, uh, certain styles of aggression caused me to be passive and the the reality for me was I know that I'm a good leader. I know that I can lead, it, but when I'm challenged in my leadership, it actually is a trigger to my character, but it's not that you're addressing my character. You're addressing a moment, and I don't know how to reconcile that in my brain, and that causes me to then enter into a state of passivity. And that is now a challenge for me to have to overcome. Yeah, that's good. Also, if you're a husband and like to do things inside of the house, totally good. Or if you're a wife and like to do things like around the house is totally good. Like we believe the Lord has given us like this beautiful order of the head and the wife being submitted, but also you were taking out of Adam's side. And so there are beauty. There's a beauty in the gender roles that the Lord has given us in marriage. I think the next thing, and this was a big one for me, is don't believe the accuser. So if we get in a fight and I'm like, I hear this voice being like, well, Derek never does this or Derek is this. And it doesn't agree with what the father is saying about you. The moment I come into agreement, I'm like getting into line with the accuser of like, oh, my husband is lazy or oh, he's not a faithful man. You know, maybe because I don't, and it's like nothing that you do is necessarily attached to your identity because you're a new creation and the blood speaks a better word over you. It says that you're righteous, that you stand right before the father and right before me. But the accuser comes to try to make me believe something about you and attach it to your identity. And in that moment, I have to remind myself the father of light 
like Abba, God the Father, is not an accuser. Like when Holy Spirit gives you discernment, is not for me to come and point it at you. If something is happening, it's for me to pray. But even if I'm hearing an accuser, that's the accuser of the brethren. And so I have to be aware of that lie and be like, oh, wait, that's not discernment. That's not the voice of the Father. What I'm actually hearing is the accuser. And it's and it makes me make a judgment on you, which then doesn't let grace rain on you because grace reigns through righteousness. And so the understanding that we both stand right and communicating through that of like, hey, when you did this, it made me feel this way is so much better than you are this, you always do that. And I think we've spoken about that before, but I wish I would have learned how to better separate um, like anything from identity and also understanding how to catch the voice of the accuser and be like, wait, no, I'm not going to believe that. That's really good, baby. So we've done four. Yeah. What's the fifth one? Oh, the last one was comparison. Comparison. Like, do, oh my gosh, stay away from comparison. Don't compare your husband or your marriage to anybody else. Don't look at Instagram and be like, they have, I don't have. Or like, don't compare your season to where somebody else is. Like, we're six months in. I'm looking at a six-year marriage and being like, why are we not doing that? So comparison is a thief of your joy. Don't compare your husband to anybody else. Don't compare your wife to anybody else. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Like learn that you are where you need to be with the Lord and learn to enjoy the moment without falling into comparison. That's good. I A caveat to that would be as much advice as you get as a young married couple and in your dating season and in your engagement season, know that advice is only meant for you to bring to the Lord to find your own rhythm. Yeah. That there's actually a lot more... Um, grace for you and your wife or you and your husband to ask the Lord, hey, so we've received this. Is this for us or is this um, something to pray into to find a rhythm for what makes sense for us so that you don't wind up comparing like the way that this couple does this thing to our marriage? And if we don't do it, then we're not going to be a successful couple. So Mm -hmm. That's Keep really counsel, but pray about it. Like exactly what is supposed to be for you because your marriage is not like anybody else. Like we're not like, I don't know, cookie cutter couple. So our our life doesn't look the same. And so we have to just like heed counsel and then take it to the Lord and ask. Yeah, It's a, it's a yeah. commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And like, don't covet their marriage. Don't covet don't their covet marriage. Their don't house, covet, their baby. Like it's, be where you have to be. Yeah, the Holy Spirit knows what you need to have, when you need to have it. He knows where you need to be, when you need to be there. And he knows what you need to have, when you need to have it. Amen. So That's good, babe. Um, shout out to Dr. Carey. We love you guys. Yes. Thank you for listening to the five things, five things. that we... Not, I would say before we go, we did get counsel in some of these things, but you got to live it out to actually yeah, do it. Yeah, these but I like, I wish I would have practiced by myself before yeah. getting into marriage. Yeah, that's good. And so, if you're not married, heed counsel, pray about these things, and see what the Lord wants to do with you. And if you're married, then put these things into practice for sure. Yeah, comment down below if there's anything you wish you would have known before getting married or something that you're willing to work on before you get married to find success in your marriage. We love you guys. Peace. See you next week.